So Romans 15, starting at verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other as Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to uh, be with you through the wonders of technology uh, this morning. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name's Jono, and um, I lead the, the ministry across our Grace Anglican churches, and particularly pastoring uh, our Harrington Park congregation. Uh, well, today is... Uh, a favourite thing, Sunday, and uh, well, I can't bring my family. I did contemplate bringing my dog Archie, he's a bit of a favourite. Shout out to Archie if he's watching this morning. Um, but I am wearing my favourite uh, blue hiking merino uh, jacket, which if you notice what people wear, you'll know it really is a favourite of mine. I do wear it often. Uh, it's great to be, uh, to be opening God's word uh, together this morning, and uh, we, I invite you to pray with me as we... Uh, Look at this part that Bertie's just read for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word. And we do ask that you would give us uh, encouragement from your scriptures this morning. And we ask that you would speak to us, that you would shape us, that you would grow us in our love for one another and our unity in Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure uh, many of you have been tuning into the Olympics. Um, some of you perhaps have been devouring it in large quantities. Um, I've watched bits and pieces as um, someone who likes to run. I've particularly enjoyed the athletics. And as a, um, well, I guess I have to say, an ex-basketball player, uh, I, it was great to see Australia take home the bronze medal in the basketball last night. The Olympics is a lot of fun, and it really is quite an impressive thing. You know, this great event that, that brings people together from all over the world and seeks to unite them around sport. Uh, the International Olympic Committee website states that their vision is building a better world through sport. Uh, now, apparently, Olympism, I didn't even know that was a word, but apparently it's a word. Olympism is a philosophy of life, philosophy of life which places sport at the service of humankind. 
Sport is the great thing that unites the world, says the IOC. Uh, Their working principles include universality and solidarity and unity in diversity. And, you know, there is an element of unity that does come through the Olympics. I mean, we love seeing the displays of, of camaraderie and, and friendship amongst the, the competing athletes, the, you know, them hugging each other and congratulating each other after their win. There is an element of unity that comes through the Olympics. And yet, maybe I'm missing something, but it, it seems kind of ironic to pursue unity through sport. When the very nature of sport is that it's a competition between rivals. I mean, the different nations are are tribes aligned behind their champion and and we kind of want our tribe to triumph over the other tribes. It's not exactly achieving worldwide peace and unity. Despite that, I still love the Olympics. But where in our world is peace and unity to be found? I reckon peace and unity is an elusive thing, and increasingly so in our individualistic and self-focused world. I mean, you see it in the whole response to COVID. Uh, the, The very nature of a virus means that the actions of an individual can have a widespread impact on others. And so the response has been to work collectively, to, to limit and control all our individual actions so as to bring about a particular widespread collective outcome, ideally the elimination of the virus. One of the great challenges of this collective strategy is profound and deep-seated individualism, something that, that sits in every sinful human heart and increasingly in our Western secularist-affected human hearts. There's a a hesitancy or a resistance or, in some cases, an an outright refusal to curtail my own personal freedoms for the sake of the good of others. Doing that or being asked or told to do that doesn't really cut it in our individualistic culture. And so, instead, appeals are made not just to the, the kind of the common good, but to protecting our own loved ones, that is, the people of our tribe. Or appeals are made to just serve our own self-interest, albeit our collective self-interest. And so we can have, we can all, if we can all curtail our freedom, if we can all put up with these restrictions, if we can all go get vaccinated, then, well, that's our path back to being individually free to do what each of us wants to do. And so even in trying to bring about a, a collective response, our leaders need to appeal to our own individualistic self-interest, protecting ourselves, protecting our loved ones, and returning me to my own self-autonomy and freedom. Individualism is rife in our culture. Now, this is not a criticism of our political leaders. I mean, they're working with what they've got. And what they've got is an increasingly fragmented, individualistic, self-focused, self-opinionated culture that well, despite perhaps many wonderful exceptions to the norm, all too often it just wants to know what's in it for me. Amongst all this, where is unity and peace to be found? Well, I don't know if the uh, Christians living in Rome in the first century uh, faced the challenges of individualism in a statewide collective response to a pandemic, 
but they certainly faced a real and dangerous challenge to their unity as a Christian community. And Paul addressed addressed that challenge in today's passage following on from chapter 14, which we've looked at these past two weeks. And Paul's way of, of addressing their particular threat to unity, it wonderfully gives us the framework, the, the principles that show us how we can pursue and how we can find real unity and peace. It's a wonderful message our world needs. And it's a wonderful message that we need, and it starts with each of us. So friends, let's turn our minds to this, this wonderful part of God's word. Uh, first, we need to understand the, the issue in Rome. Ben and Gav have shown us these, these past two weeks that there were some tensions between two groups in the church, uh, two groups which are labelled here in our passage as the strong and the weak. These are labels obviously given by those who regard themselves as the strong. And the, and the conflict between these two groups was around what food is okay for Christians to eat and, and what place should certain religious days have for Christians. What we can work out from uh, what's said in, in these, uh, these chapters is that it's likely that, that one group, predominantly Gentiles, that they happily accepted Christ's teaching that all food is clean and fine to eat and, and, and they were the so-called strong in faith. And they were being quick to, to look down on their poor, weak faith brothers and sisters who were likely Christians from a Jewish background. And so they were, these uh, Christians from a Jewish background were conditioned to think that, well, it was, it was wrong, for example, to eat things like pork. And so they just just struggled to, to bite into a bacon sandwich without feeling like they were doing something wrong. Even if they knew in their heads that it was okay, it can take some time for our hearts, our consciences, to catch up with our heads. And so into this context, Paul speaks and he addresses these two groups and he teaches them how to respond to each other. And he concludes his teaching on this issue in today's passage. In short, this passage is a call to unity. Uh, there's a command and it a call, a command, and it comes twice. There's there's two halves to this passage. There's a command followed by reasons for the command and then a prayer. So let's um let's unpack this. Firstly, Paul says unity in Christ means not pleasing ourselves. Look at verse one. He says, "We who are strong." Or to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves, each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. Now, Paul puts himself in the, uh, the strong camp as someone who knows that all food is okay to eat, and he says, We who are strong ought to or are obligated to bear with the failings of the weak. Uh, this bearing. Bearing with the failings. This bearing is as, as the idea of something that's hard, something that's, that's costly for the sake of another. Like foregoing your own preference for having bacon sandwiches at the church picnic. If that's going to help maintain unity, I'll forego that. I'll bear with the failings of my weak brother at that point. It's about not pleasing ourselves, but seeking to please our neighbours for their good to build them up. Friends, pleasing ourselves 
is what causes community to fracture on every scale. From arguments in a, in a marriage or a family, sometimes about the most trivial of things, through to, to nations fighting to preserve their own interests. Pleasing ourselves destroys peace and harmony. And if there's one thing that you, you take away from this morning and put into practice, perhaps it's this. Train yourself to think, how can I live to not please myself, but to please my neighbour, my spouse, my family member, whoever it is, for their good, to build them up? But as you do that, notice the reason for this. Because this is what will motivate, will, will energise that desire. Paul gives the command, but then he gives the reason. And there's actually two reasons. Firstly, verse 3, he says, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Friends, look to the example of Christ. Now, it might seem like Paul is kind of using a sledgehammer here to, to crack open a walnut. I mean, to say Christ did not please himself, that, that is one of the greatest understatements of the Bible. I mean, surely the, the supreme example of, of bearing with the hardship on that day that, that all humanity's hostility and hatred towards God fell on Jesus. I mean, for, for us to be called to put up with some minor inconvenience for the sake of our brother or sister hardly seems to compare with the agony of the cross. Jesus' example of, of sacrificial service for others, well, that puts our sacrifices for the sake of others into perspective. So we look to the example of Christ. Secondly, we look to the scriptures for endurance and encouragement and hope. Look there in verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. See, as we sacrificially bear with, uh, with others, as we seek their good, build them up, the scriptures give us the bigger picture. They, they lift us beyond ourselves. They, they teach us to endure, to providing encouragement. They provide us with encouragement and hope. Endurance, encouragement, hope. They sound like pretty good things to hang on to at any time, but especially at the moment. And friends, the scriptures provide that for us. They give us that bigger picture framework. They remind us of our God who is in control. They provide encouragement, endurance, hope. I was chatting with the guys at my Thursday morning 6am Zoom growth group. Yep, it's crazy, I know, but it, it's good. I was chatting with them during this week and, and one of the guys uh, was talking about how the, the lockdown is affecting his work and, and he said how, how he used to get pretty stressed about things like this, but well, God's given him a, a sense of calm and of trust that, that God's in control and so he's just taking things one day at a time. And then he said, I mean, it's not like it's the end of the world. And well, even if it is, well, that's good, right? And I thought, what a great hope that we have. What a great perspective. We have hope that's anchored in the fact that God is in control. And the scriptures teach us to, to endure, to encourage us. The, the scriptures provide us with hope. So the example of Christ and the teaching and encouragement of Scripture urges us to express our unity in Christ 
as we don't please ourselves, but we seek to build up one another. Paul's given the command. He's given the reason for it. Then he prays for this. Look at verse 5. He says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a great prayer. Here's a prayer for God-glorifying unity. It's a prayer that God, that the God of endurance and encouragement, that he would enable such unity in Christ. These two verses kind of take the, the letter of Philippians and the letter of Ephesians and condense them down into two verses. He, he says there, may, may God give you the same attitude toward each other that Christ Jesus had. In Philippians 2.5, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus so that, verse 6, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is very similar to the call for unity in Ephesians chapter 4. And notice the result of, of, this, of this other person-centered behavior, this, this bearing with others. The result is a unity that glorifies God. The bringing together of, of two, humanly speaking, incompatible groups that is evidence, that is proof of nothing less than the glorious work of God. I mean, how else can that happen? I think it's easy for us to um, perhaps underestimate the, the depth of division that existed between Jew and Gentile in the first century. It's, it's hard for us to sort of draw a parallel to that. But for these two groups to sacrificially bear with and love one another, just to seek the good of the other, to build them up, that is astounding. And that is living proof of the glorious work of God. And such unity can, can only come from God through the glorious grace of Christ Jesus. Such unity is a, a visible demonstration of that glory, of that glorious grace. I think one of the griefs of, um, of this current lockdown that we're in is is it's, it's harder to see this God-glorifying unity as God's people in all their, their differences come together and love one another. I mean, that same sacrificial love that bears with others for their good and pleases them, not ourselves, that, that can and does still happen, but it's, it's easily constrained and it's perhaps less tangible at the moment. And yet perhaps this call that, that God is giving us through his word, perhaps this call to to please others over ourselves, perhaps that's even more important as we work through the difficulties of this lockdown. I mean, our need, our opportunity to express and, and uphold our unity in Christ, that's as important now as ever. And we need to work, work at how to do that. Well, the second half of this passage is, in some ways mirrors the first. Paul gives a command, verse 7. He says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Uh, the command to accept one another, it's not just a kind of token acceptance. It, it, it's a warm, deep, ongoing welcome of the other. And it says that this brings praise, praise to God. And it's not saying 
you know, get together, accept one another, and then have a time of praising God. No, it's deeper than that. He's saying when you accept one another, when, when otherwise incompatible people do actually welcome one another and love one another sincerely, well, that proves that, that God's king is bringing the world together under his rule. And when that happens, they're welcome for one another. That brings praise to God. And it proves that God is doing what, what he always promised to do. The unity in Christ, that fulfills the promise of God because that's always been part of God's plan. And so Paul gives the reason for this command, accept one another. And then he says, verse 8, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Christ confirmed or fulfilled the promises God made to Abraham. Promises that that don't just relate to the Jews, but indeed to the whole Gentile world, to bring blessing to the world. And Paul shows then that, that God has promised this throughout the Scriptures. He draws from each of the sections of the Old Testament Scriptures, from the law, the writings, and the prophets. So verse 9, he, he quotes firstly from 2 Samuel 22. And notice the theme of the, the Gentiles throughout this. He says, verse 9, second half, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I'll sing the praises of your name. And then he quotes, uh, secondly, from Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. Again, it says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And then he quotes from Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 11 says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. The plan, God's plan, his promise has always been to unite people from all nations, to bring them together in unity. And he has achieved this, not through Olympic sport, but through Christ Jesus, the King of his kingdom. Where is unity and peace to be found? It's found in Christ. As we are welcomed and accepted by him, and so by God's enabling we then welcome and accept others. We sacrificially serve others to please them for their good, to build them up. This is the astounding work of God that shows his glory, that brings him praise. That's always been his plan and it always will be his plan. Brothers and sisters, this is good news in a fragmented, torn and despairing world. Jesus is God's king. He's on his throne and he is drawing people to himself and and drawing people to one another. And so we have hope. We have profound hope, overflowing hope. As Paul prays at the end of this passage in verse 13, he prays, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a prayer. As we trust in God, the the, the one who is the God of hope, who is always in control, who always keeps his promise. 
He is able, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to fill us with all joy and peace so that we overflow with hope. May God so work this in us. Well, friends, where does the rubber hit the road for us? Other than to to pray this awesome prayer for each other. Well, unity in Christ means, well, it means not pleasing ourselves because Christ didn't please himself. Now, we're not facing the same uh, threat to unity that the Roman Christians faced over issues like bacon sandwiches at the church picnic. Wouldn't that be nice? Great to have a church picnic and with or without bacon sandwiches. We don't face that same issue, but, you know, the underlying principle of following Christ and his example of sacrificially curtailing my own freedoms to bear with others for their good, to see them built up in Christ in unity together, that has many profound applications to our lives. I think one of the challenges to Christian unity in church life generally these days can be, a, can be approaching church life with what I call a consumer mindset, to have a focus on, on what I get out of church, what church does for me. And if we think this way, then, well, we won't be looking to bear with others, to love them sacrificially, to work towards their good, that they be built up. We'll be thinking about ourselves. And where there are differences that threaten to divide us from others, rather than leaning in relationally to pursue unity, our tendency at that point can be to to please ourselves, to withdraw, to separate, to, to feed division and disunity. Now, realising in saying this, I'm touching on a big and difficult topic and anyone who's been through a significant relational problem in, in a church will know that and, and, and I recognise that this can be incredibly complex and incredibly painful. But I guess I just want to hold up the, the simple principle that, that God gives us here and that is that our unity in Christ means not pleasing ourselves but seeking the good of our neighbour to build them up. Now, of course, at the moment, it's kind of hard to, to work on and grow our unity in Christ when we're so separated by this lockdown. And we're church, if you want to call this church, which it's not really, but it, it can feel very much like a consumer product, you know, as, you, as we sit at our home, at home on our lounges and consume a, a video. Despite the challenges of this time, though, I want to say let's look for whatever opportunities there are. We can still send a text to someone and say, hey, I'm I'm thinking of you. Is there something specific I can be praying for you? We can pick up the phone and and have a chat and reach out to someone and say, hey, I'm I'm struggling. Can you pray for me, please? We we can arrange to, to go for a socially distant walk together. Maybe this lockdown is an opportunity for us to grow in small, simple expressions of our unity and love. And maybe it will grow us in appreciation for the opportunities to be other person-centred that we, that we have normally in our church gatherings so that when we return uh, to being able to be together again, we'll do so with a renewed zeal, a zeal to imitate Christ as we seek to please others above ourselves for their good, to build them up. And until that day... Let me pray for us and encourage us to pray this for one another. As Paul prays, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give us the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, 
so that with one mind and one voice we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Time now. Um, so if you've got any questions, feel free to, um, to text them into the phone number on the screen. Thanks for that, Jono. We do have a few questions have come in. Excellent. Are you ready? Sure. <laughs> All right, here's the first question. Uh, okay. From what I can understand, the ecumenical movement wants to abolish or heavily downplay denominationalism as if that's something that spells disunity. Do you think denominationalism is a hindrance to genuine unity in Christ? Is denominationalism a hindrance to genuine unity in Christ? Um, I, I, I don't think it, it needs to be. I mean, there can be a, a tribalism that says, well, you know, my denomination ha, has all the, you know, the right answers and everyone else is. That, that, can, that can be un, unhelpful. But I think actually um, denominations can be uh, helpful for, for unity in, uh, in saying, look, we're going to work together. We, we are of one mind about these particular things and we're going to work together for for the gospel and we're not going to to keep bumping into our fellow brothers and sisters from other denominations as we sort of try to to bring bring us together on issues that that aren't central um yeah i think that there are the ecumenical movement um can have dangers of of thinking that if well if only all the different denominations would would somehow unite together well then we'll magically usher in the the return of jesus or something like I, I that that sort of expectation can can flow through that um there are things that we can do together across denominations and and we do um and there are times that it's best just to kind of get on with preaching jesus and the, preaching the gospel to people in our own particular area and context so there's a few thoughts around doesn't make denominations. Uh, disunified is that the word? Ununified, disunified. The fact that we, the fact that we're doing it is that we have different denominations. Yeah, it doesn't make it doesn't necessarily mean we're not unified. No, it doesn't. No. Cool. Um, is all individualism bad? I ask because, from what I can understand, Jesus' death is applied by the Holy Spirit to individual sinners. I'm not saved because I belong to a church that's saved. I'm saved because I'm an individual follower of Jesus. Yep, our individual response to Jesus is is very important. Jesus saves us as individuals. Um, however, individualism is that commitment to the centrality of me and you know and my my interests uh, pursuing what is good for me. So, um, yeah, the, our in, our individual response to God matters, um, as does our response corporately to God. That matters too, um, but there's a real push in our in our culture and our society for the the triumph of the individual. 
and uh, and that's um, that's something we've got to be aware of and work against, because uh, that really is at the heart of the triumph of the individual is at the heart of sin, of of saying I am God, I am the Lord of my life, I'm in charge, and what matters most is what I want. Um, we've got to resist that. Thank you. Unity means accepting non-vaxxed or vaxxed people. Does this church believe that? Unity means accepting all vax or non-vax people. People, this... whether they're vaccinated or not. Look, I think it's a, thank you. That's a really good question. I was kind of hoping that someone would uh, <laughs> would would uh, sort of point to the elephant in the room. Um, I think the different views on vaccination is something that we're going to have to work through together. And, and what is really important, and I think what's great that God is, as you said before, Gav, that God is, has encouraged us at this time to love one another, is that we have to love one another, even though people who may think quite differently to us on the, on the matter of vaccination. So whether you're pro-vaccination or really anti-vaccination, we need to love our brothers and sisters on this issue which might mean being able to talk to one another over the issues and, and think it through together, to listen well, uh, but not to, not to divide against one another because, they hold, because my brother or sister in Christ holds a different view on this uh, to me. Um, so I think that's, yeah, it's very important that we, we love one another well at this time and that we work through our differences in love for one another and in humility. Humility that says, I may not have all the right answers, actually. Uh, and I, I say that, you know, on, on either side of, of the fence which you may, may sit, that actually says, well, you know, I could be wrong on this issue. And uh, we need to, to come at things um, humbly as well. Awesome. Um, uh, there might be more to, to be said on that. And I, I haven't, as you know, so I haven't touched on whether you should be pro or anti-vax, whatever, um, I'm, I'm going for the, the bigger issue of actually our, our love for one another in this, as we navigate this. I mean, as, as Christ's church, um, everyone's welcome to come and learn uh, from the Bible here. Those accepted into God's kingdom are those who put their trust in Jesus, and that's the only thing that really <laughs> creates groups. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and maybe the other thing that could be said on the topic is, as we approach that question of vaccination, um, this is a, the, the framework that we should be approaching that from is a, a love for the other mm. and other person-centeredness, mm. um, you know, regardless of what we're thinking, that that, that ought to be what's driving us. Mm. Um, I've got a, a comment here. Thanks for faithfully teaching from God's Word. Convicted that I've been consuming church, not playing my part in faithfully unifying by builders up, building others up. So that's cool. Uh, last question. Um... Hi, Jono. The Jewish group may see themselves as the strong. Will this work the other way around? Yeah, I think the. Um, I mean, I think in 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 Romans fourteen fifteen, the the, the strong, so called, are those who are seeing themselves as um, as free, free to be able to eat, you know, whatever, um, and they're looking down their noses at the, their poor, weak, unenlightened brothers and sisters who who are hung up about bacon sandwiches and that sort of thing. Um, but equally, the the Jewish uh, believer could be seeing themselves as they could be taking the higher ground of of judging their uh, you know their their pagan brother and sister for their impiety and you know and being so 
um, so reckless in their their attitude. Um, so yes, there's, there can be a judgment um, of them and looking down on them. So in that sense, they're kind of seeing themselves as the as the true, truly pious, non-bacon eating believer. So you're saying <coughs> they. Could be issues of conscience in which I'm strong and you're weak, but then other issues of conscience in which you're strong and I'm weak, and so we yes. all just need to be humble together. <laughs> That's true. Yes, I think the strong and weak is kind of expressing the uh, "I'm right, you're wrong" kind of yeah. um, mindset. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Jono. Uh, that's fantastic.